probably had about three or four welcomes already this, mo this morning slash this afternoon. Um, <clears throat> if you're joining us for the first time, we're in the process of doing a Bible overview. And our Bible overview, this is week 10. <clears throat> Fundamentally, we want to do two things. One, we want to help uh, our understanding of the fact that the whole Bible is one story. One story, not two separate stories, one story. And that whole story identifies one hero, and his name is Jesus. Jesus doesn't just turn up in the New Testament, but he's apparent in the Old Testament. And um, the Old Testament is a big portion of your Bible, right? If you still have Bibles, I'll pull out my one in a minute. But <clears throat> So those are the two things we're hoping to achieve. And um, today we're going to be looking at the first part of a few weeks, looking at the kings of Israel. Um, you can see I've got the Marriage Matters advert up there for this Saturday. Um, but in terms of our Bible overview, we're going to be doing Kings Part 1. And we're looking at the first king of Israel, whose name is Saul. And really the subheading is Saul, the people's choice. Saul, the people's choice. <clears throat> so let me, let me pray just before we jump in. Father, thank you for... Um, your amazing grace and the way that it works in our lives. Lord, even when, even when we make bad choices, bad decisions, and we foul up and drop the ball, thank you, Lord, for your grace that steps in and stepped into many of our lives, Lord, rescuing us from, from definite danger and eternal peril in saving us through the Lord Jesus. We're so grateful. And even after getting saved, Lord, enjoying your great salvation, from sin and eternal death and damnation, Lord, we still drop the ball and we still need your grace at work in our lives. So, Lord, would you help us as we look at the story of the Bible, particularly today looking at King Saul, and help us to learn from the mistakes that he made. And, um, Lord, help us to see Jesus maybe in a wonderful new way today. And it's in his name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Kings Part 1. <clears throat> How many of you know we're getting ready to vote in a, in a general election? And, you know, we've already had these preliminary, preliminary council elections and Tory landslide, right? Theresa May, she's smart. You know, I mean, she picked the right moment to have a general election. <laughs> and it seems like that's what's going to happen, at least in terms of this big election coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Now, 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 that's how a democracy functions. You know what I'm saying? We get the opportunity to vote for who, who leads, who, who rules, as it were. You know what I'm saying? And in our story today, Israel will vote. But not for a political um, party or for a prime minister. Israel are going to vote for a king. Now, as we pick up the story, for the last 350 years, Israel has been led by judges. We looked at Barak, we looked at Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson last week particularly. Imperfect judges, remember, who could only bring about temporary deliverance. Question is, would a king be any different? The king would become one of the three most important um, positions held by Israel's leaders historically. Um, the other two are, anybody know? They both begin with P. Prophets and priests. Thank you. 
prophets and priests <clears throat> who will come to um, in a little bit in the message and then, and then a little bit, a, a bit more in future weeks. Now, in our last book in Judges, we saw um, an allusion to this new office of king. I don't know if you remember. And it was Judges 17, verse 6, and it says, In those days Israel had no king. Therefore, everyone did as he saw fit. Now, what we see is the people come together as opposed to being independent, independent in their decision making as they were then. And collectively, they decide to agree. And initially, it sounds like progress for Israel. But essentially, the people are still in rebellion to God still doing what seems right in their own eyes. And if you think about it, this is just a, a recapitulation or a, a repetition of that which took place in the garden. Remember? Remember, this is one story. And in the garden, it's eat the fruit. Why? Because you'll be like God. More like be like God and take that fruit. Eat that fruit. Adam and Eve doing what seemed right in their own eyes, right? And whereas the book of Judges, there was no king in Israel, we will now see the opposite. There will be a king in Israel. Actually, there will be multiple kings in Israel, but ultimately there will be only one king in Israel, and he will become the king of all kings. Listen to a prophecy from way back in Genesis, right? We've been Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges last week. We're not doing Ruth. First and second Samuel, this will be on now. But go all the way back to, to, to Genesis. In Genesis 49, verse 10, listen to this prophecy. It says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now it says the scepter will not depart from where? Judah. Judah. Thank you, Harry. Now before we come back to that, this whole scepter business, I suspect you know what a scepter is, you know what I'm saying? But the scepter is that staff or, you know what I'm saying, that, that rod, that, that, that beautiful kind of, golden diamond encrusted rod that's held by and identifies the head of the monarchy. There you got a picture of Queen Elizabeth II back in the day at her coronation holding the scepter. Now she's the queen, she's not the king, but she's the head of the quote-unquote monarchy, right? And, <clears throat> and that's what this scepter identifies, the king, the ruler. And, and notice, as that verse just said, the scepter won't depart from where? Judah until, notice, he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of Israel shall be his. Is that what it says? The, thank you. Not Israel, the nations. Can you see that? The nations. And it won't just be Israel that recognizes his royal majesty. We know the Bible says the rest of the story helps us to understand that it. it's every tongue, tribe, people, and nation that will eventually recognize this particular king. 
And these were some of Jacob's final words to one of his sons about his son's future offspring and again fulfilling the promise made to Abraham, right? Kings will come from you. Now, how does this relate to Israel's ultimate son? <clears throat> well, guess which one of the 12 tribes it was that Jesus came from? Judah. And then later on in Deuteronomy, there's a few verses we're going to read, right? This is, um, it's, it's good to read the Bible, right? Especially if we don't get a quote-unquote opportunity to read it during the week. Um, let's do some reading. Deuteronomy 17, starting at verse 14 um, we hear Moses declare something. He says, when you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Now, that's amazing. This is Deuteronomy we're reading. But from back then, you know what I'm saying, God had obviously shown Moses that in the future, at some point, the people are going to want a king. We're trying to, Pastor E, we're trying to help us to see how the whole Bible fits together. Right? So he says, when you come into that, he says, you're going to say, we want a king over us. But he says, verse 15, be sure to appoint over you a king that the Lord your God chooses. Right? He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. Verse 16, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. To make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. I nearly said um, the king moreover must not acquire great numbers of cars to himself. <laughs> um, for the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Many people be like, oh, in the Old Testament, you could have holy per wives if you wanted to. Who said so? I'm saying the Lord Jesus comes up in the New Testament and corrects that and says, wait a minute, you forget what it was like from the beginning, one man for one woman. So don't look in the Old Testament and misinterpret it. You hear what the Lord is saying? He ain't supposed to multiply wives to himself. Why? Or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of gold and silver, silver and gold. Verse 18, God, huh, that's a big one, isn't it? The money thing. All right. Verse 18, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. Oy. And that was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses. He was to write out. I mean, there, and there weren't no photocopiers. You know what I mean? No, no Microsoft Word and copy and paste. No, no, no. He had to literally write. Imagine writing that out by hand. But this was a part of the, the king's responsibility. And, and, and it, was, it, would, um, it, would, it would be with him, verse 19, and he's to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. So we see references to a king, singular, but we also see references to a succession of kings, plural, who will reign over a protracted period of time, right? And this was all a part of God's plan years before, even whilst God's people were in the wilderness, quote unquote, like the book of Deuteronomy, right? And as much as this line of monarchs were 
exalted and would be ruling. They were to do so under God. Because ultimately God was to be their king. And it would never be that the human king would become God. Like we see happen throughout the whole of human history. You know what I'm saying? It's not that the, the human king would become God. It would be that God would become a human king. But not before going to the cross to die a horrendous death on the behalf of his beloved subjects. That's good news. I mean, as we heard about in communion this morning, Jesus, he's the lion, you know what I'm saying, of the tribe of Judah. He's the king, but he's also the lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the earth. Jesus, it was always a part of God's plan for him to come and to die. Imagine for his subjects, what a king. Worthy, you know what I'm saying, to whom we sing. <clears throat> he would then take after dying and resurrecting from the dead his throne eternally. And he will rule the nations in righteousness. I'm hoping that you see that this is not a plan B, you know what I'm saying? And it's not being written as we go along. This was always the plan of God. So that's the great king. But for the meantime, let's start off with this first king who, if he were to obey God, he would see um, what we've been talking about quite consistently. He would see God's people in God's place under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. And so at this point, at the beginning of this first book, we're introduced to Samuel, who fulfills two of the three before mentioned positions or offices. He's a, he's a prophet, but he will also function as a priest. You know what I'm saying? And, and also in some way, shape or form, like a judge. And you see this transition from the time of the judges. You know what I'm saying? Like it started with Joshua and then here come the judges. And now here's Samuel on the back of the judges. But he's similar to one of the judges. But we're transitioning from theocracy to this monarchy. Can you see that? <clears throat> and he's a prophet, um, priest, judge. He has a miraculous birth. That is Samuel. Right, And um, he's dedicated to the Lord from a young age and is brought, he's brought up and he's raised in the temple. And by chapter 3, he's God's designated mouthpiece. In 1 Samuel um, 3 verse 19 to 20, it says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And I'm saying he's got credentials. And it says from Dan to Beersheba. That's a bit of a, um, what do they call them things again, Pastor E? Like a, um, it's not a statement, but it's like a coin of phrase. You know, Dan to Beersheba. It's a bit like saying from Land's End to John O'Groats. You know, that means the whole of the UK, right? From right the tip of Scotland all the way go down to the bottom of end of Cornwall. You know what I'm saying? He would be recognized. And in, and in chapter 5, because of Israel's sin, the Ark of the Covenant, how many of, how many of you know, is captured by the Philistines. And Israel, who obviously Israel's arch enemies. And it's, and, it's, and it's again, it's a throwback to the time of the judges. Because in chapter 6, God has to come in and rescue Israel. God goes like they put the ark in Dagon's temple. I remember years ago, by God's grace, I wrote a song about this. They put they put the ark in Dagon's temple, you know and I'm saying, and you think, oh my gosh, who's gonna help God? There's the ark in the pagan temple underneath the statue of Dagon, the fish god. 
know what I'm saying? And two twos, they come back in the morning and then they find Dagon, the fish god, on his face in front of the ark. And there ain't no Israelites in sight or in town. And then they, 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 they prop up Dagon and they're like, boy, what happened? Boy, breeze must have blow down Dagon. You know what I mean? And they push him, they put him back up and they, and they go to bed and they come back the next day and Dagon's on his face, this time with his hands and his neck broken, his head broken off. And they're like, right, let's not touch Dagon. <laughs> God done it all on his own. He didn't need no help. And we see the Lord again, just like in the time of Judges, bring about deliverance. Then in chapter 7, we see um, a book of Judges type statement. You know what I'm saying? 1 Samuel chapter 7, it says, Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Right? So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourself of the foreign gods. All this talk about, yeah, you're coming back to the Lord. Well, what about the foreign gods? What about all the idols? Get rid of them. You know what I'm saying? The gods to Ashtaroth. And he says, commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals or their Baals and Ashtoreths and serve the Lord only. Now, <clears throat> you can hear it sounds just like um, Samuel is a judge because that's what they did. You know what I'm saying? Remember the cycles in Judges. Um, then verse 5, it says, Then Samuel said, Assemble all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will what? I will intercede. I will intercede, right? Sounds like a, a priest, right? With the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and, they were, and, and, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as a leader, says the NIV. The ESV says he was serving as a judge. And I like that because as you're reading the book of Samuel, you're like, oh, judge, why is it using that word? Oh, yeah, judges, remember? So, and Samuel, as, as I said, he also functions as a priest, as we just saw in verse 5. So, <clears throat> but look at this further as it relates to Samuel continuing in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, if that's right. 1 Samuel chapter 7. Oh, I haven't got that verse. Let me put it back. So 1 Samuel 7, verse 7 to 9 says, Then the Philistines heard that Israel huh, had assembled at Mizpah. The rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. And they said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Remember, the judges used to deliver, but it was actually God doing the, 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 the deliverance, right? Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. Samuel is a prophet, but he's a priest and he's a judge. Who better placed to identify God's king when he comes, right? With a little help from the people, we're going to see. So here, um, the people now begin to demand a king. In 1 Samuel 8, it says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons, this is interesting, as, lead, as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways. You know what I'm saying? As great as, as, as a prophet, imagine he's a priest, like Samuel is amazing. You know what I'm saying? In terms of God's man, but he, he, there's no guarantee that his sons are going to turn out like that. You know what I mean? And, and they don't, do they? At least at this point. It says they turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Oi. 
That must have been really difficult in that household. Well, at least until they grew up and they left the house, right? Verse 4, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at this place called Ramah. They said to him, you are old, Samuel, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now, appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, we're beginning to hear, you know what I'm saying, really where Israel are at. They're semi into the Lord, but at the same time, there's a strong influence from the world, you know what I'm saying, where they really, they want to be like the other nations, right? Verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Forsaking me and serving other gods. So look, look how good I was to them, but look how bad they do me. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them. Mm. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them <clears throat> will claim as his rights. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 18, <clears throat> and following, it says, When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen. <laughs> but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Well, but wait a minute, he just told you that maybe that's not the best thing for you. No. We want a king of, we want what we want. Can you see they still are doing what is right in their own eyes? Verse 20, then we will be like all the other nations. But God don't want you to be like all the other nations. You're supposed to be distinct and different. You're supposed to be holy, we saw in Judges. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Now, a question is, that could be asked is, is it always good to always get what you desire? I see all the parents going like, like no. <laughs> not, that the not that those of you that are not parents didn't nod your head. I'm just saying, I noticed. I see Zebedee like, no. You know what I mean? And it's good that he knows that, you know what I'm saying, as, uh, with, 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 with the stage in terms of you know, his life of fatherhood. It's good that he knows that from early, is my point. You know what I mean? And it is true. And I don't think there's any of us that would deny that that is the, that is the truth. Now, especially if we were rogues in our childhood. You know what I mean? It's like, and especially if we were allowed to do everything that we wanted to do when we wanted, how we wanted. I'm saying it's not always good for a parent to allow the, the child to have their, their ultimate desires. <clears throat> and the thing is, you know, it's one thing to be a child who wants sweets. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or start screaming for that toy at the checkout till. You know what I'm saying? Apart from it being embarrassing, you know what I'm saying? It's like you just have to stand your ground as a, as a parent. <clears throat> but how many of you know children... They grow up to become adults, like big surprise, you know what I'm saying? And, and for all intents and purposes, adults sometimes are just big kids. 
And our tantrums, we still have them. They just become a bit more controlled. <laughs> but our desires remain nonetheless. See, our tactics just become a little bit more sophisticated. You've heard me say it before. The only difference between men and boys is what? Is the price of their toys. But ain't no difference. I don't even know if you're going to be able to see this picture. You see, there's the, little, there's, the, there's the little boy in his toy Mercedes. And there's his dad in his big, real Mercedes. And what's the difference? The size and the price. <laughs> Enough so, a bit more. <laughs> and, and the thing is, <clears throat> that's picking on the boys, right? If we, if we think about it, right, we live in a culture that can provide instant gratification. And that is not an understatement. You know what I'm saying? Compared to like my mum and my mum, like the days that my mum and dad lived in, instant gratification. And you know I had to find one for the girls them too, right? At first I thought this was a misprint when I saw this. But, uh, oh child, the color, you can't even see the color. Argos, oi. I thought Amazon Prime, like next day delivery, like was amazing. And if you think about it, it is. Imagine you can go online and before three o'clock, I think, or something like that, if you make that order, it's on your doorstep in 24 hours. Isn't it, Judith? Isn't it, sister? Like, like, them, like, them, like them brown trainers that your husband bought for you. Oi. I saw her around the back. I was like, my sister, that's a pretty pair of crepes you got. And she's like, oh yeah, my husband bought them for me. I was like, all right then. And she's, I, did, I swear she said something about they did, they, yeah, when, you know, He said to her, oh, when you see a, a pastor's going to arrive for you, yeah? Don't worry. You never ordered nothing, but it's yours. Don't worry. It's, and um, I don't know if you've done it. I don't know if you've got Amazon Prime, but I don't know if it was next day. But I know you can get next day delivery. Now, <clears throat> Argos take this thing to another level. Look what Argos says. Argos says, fast track, you know, look, you, you want it today? Get it today. Order by 6 p.m. delivered today. I'm like, that, sh that must be a misprint. <laughs> really, that should mean if order by 6 p.m. delivered tonight. Because after 6 p.m. is evening. <laughs> but it's the same day, right? I'm like, is that real? Is that right? Is, tell me, that, is that right? When I tell you the culture that we live in is able to provide you with instant gratification. Have you, and have you ever bought something? <laughs> and then either when you get it home or you unpack it, you're like, why did I buy this? <laughs> but maybe it's just me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or those of you that are like me, you're like, but you bought it, right? I mean, you were there when you bought it. Whether in the shop or online, you would... See, impulse purchasing, and it's because we can, and for men and women, you see, often the bigger question isn't what do you want, but why? Vaughan Roberts, he says, he says, in terms of 
getting back to our story, he says, God is angry with them for their request, Israel, wanting a king. Not because they want a king, but because of their motivation in asking for one. They want a king instead of God, rather than a king under God. In their desire to be like the other nations, they are rejecting God's kingship over them, which made them unique. They want a monarchy instead of a theocracy. So they want a king. And through a process of events, we see that this first king turns out to be who? Saul. And um, hopefully we're going to see five things about King Saul. Saul is selected to become king. We're going to see his fears. Part one and part two, we're going to see Saul's disobedience and his disregard for the Lord's command. Um, I mean, what a resume for a king and the first king of Israel at that. And I'm saying, and then we're going to see that that really and truly Saul is just a picture of the antithetical king that is the opposite of the king that God desires for his people. So number one, Saul is selected to become king. Chapter nine tells us, Saul came from a very wealthy family. A very wealthy family. Saul was tall. We don't know if he was dark, but he was definitely handsome. Listen to 1 Samuel 9, verse 1 and 2 says, There was a Benjamite, a who? A Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Think Cristiano Ronaldo. Look in. You know what I'm saying? And... Why did I say that? Why did I have to say that? My, my girl's like, Chris, I don't, ain't, you ain't feeling him. All right, then. I don't know. Who, who, would, who, who would you suggest is a good looking? I- Idris. Oh. Okay, then. All right, then. I can't even lie. As a man, I have to admit. Idris, uh, well, not, maybe not for the same reasons. You know what I'm saying? But Okay, let's go with Idris. Now... Now this, and then Joshua, you know. Okay then. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. What on earth have I started? Hmm. Hmm. Keep it moving, Pastor Rob. Keep it moving. Now this man saw he was a decent military strategist. Like the Benjamites, they was they would like when it came to using a sword, these guys were dangerous. You know what I'm saying? He'd won a few battles, yet we begin to see Saul's true colors from early on. Can you already immediately see a problem with the people's bad choice? Where can you see it? What tribe is Saul from? See? These people weren't reading their Bibles. They're God's people. In God's place. Supposed to be under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing, but they're not even reading their Bibles. You know, sometimes you go, like, sometimes a day or two, you don't read your Bible. Sometimes, sometimes you go for a week, maybe you don't pick up your Bible. 
And the thing is now, we ain't got no excuse. You know, you're only running, you're like, you're getting ready for work, you're running for the bus and you're sitting on the bus, you're like, oh, thank you, Lord, I got the bus and oh, where's my Bible? Oh, I forgot my Bible. We ain't even got that excuse. I bet you never forgot your phone. Right? Amen. You can get the Bible on the phone, but even though we've got our Bible on our phone, how often do we, I notice, I say, how often do we read our Bible? Because... Um, this ain't just about those of you in front of the quote-unquote pulpit. It's for everyone behind the pulpit too. And I have to confess, I don't read my Bible as much as I ought to. You know what I'm saying? And therefore, <laughs> what, could we, what, what mistakes could we be making in terms of making... We, we look at these, oh, they're, we caught them slipping. Saul's a Benjamite. How on earth could he even be... Oh, but remember, he's good-looking. And he's a head taller. We could, we could really go somewhere with this now. But I suspect we don't because we've, we've, we've done it so many times, talking about making a choice with reference. We, t- we talked about it. I think Pastor E even mentioned it with regards to Abraham and his, and his nephew Lot and which piece of land they're going to pick. And, and, and Lot's like, yeah, I'm going to pick that piece over there where it's green and lush. And there's a blue haze over, over the city and the city's jumping. That's where I'm going. <laughs> and then he finds out later on that it's Sodom. And I'm saying, like, do we make choices? What do, how do we make our choices? How do, what do we base our choices on? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it substantial reasons? Or is it superficial? You know what I'm saying? Um, what's our rationale? What's it based on? You see how they, they drop the ball? We can make similar mistakes. Now, I was, I was hesitant as to whether I should mention this or not. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a man called Dr. Willie Parker. Dr. Willie Parker. Maybe some of the MDs in the house will, will, will know. A couple, I think we've got a few. One or, no, we've got, definitely got one doctor in the house. who's not here today. Maybe not in the room. Um, Willie Parker. I came across this guy um, just this week, and I was really quite astounded. He specializes in obstetrics and and gynecology. He's a Christian, quote-unquote, doctor who performs abortions full-time for the past decade. Um, I'll show you where this picture was taken from and kind of photoshopped. You see the background? I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Planned Parenthood. Um, Notice their slogan is care no matter what. I'll tell you, this is the, this is not the epitome, but this identifies another group of individuals who are doing what they determine to be right in their own eyes. You, You can look up Planned Parenthood, and I've got there a quote-unquote Christian abortion provider. I can't challenge whether he is a believer or not, but I tell you, he has taken a little bit of the Bible and neglected most of the Bible to justify an erroneous position, I would argue. If you go online, you can see a devastating 10-minute TED talk that he does. Oh, my gosh. And... um. I would argue possibly one of the most dangerous men on the planet, sadly, you know what I'm saying? But you can have a look at that, um, Dr. Willie Parker. 
and, 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 and I say that on the back of my point, which is, you know what I'm saying, like, we got to be careful as we read our Bible, because when you hear him exegete the text, for someone who doesn't know the Bible, it is so overwhelmingly convincing. You'd sign up immediately. Trust me. But then if you, if you understand your Bible in any great depth, then you're able to say, you know what? There's something that's not right about this. Actually, there's a lot that's absolutely wrong about this. But you'd have to look at that yourselves. Um, I'd encourage you to take a look. It's so easy to find it on YouTube. So, first of all, Saul is selected to become king. Number two, um, Saul's fear. And this is, there's two parts to his fear. This is the first part. The first part is his unwillingness to take responsibility. Now, in the famous battle against the Philistines, right, who did they send out, the Philistines, as their secret weapon? Begins with G, Goliath. They send out Goliath, right? In 1 Samuel 17, it says, Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. It's a bit like, why, why are you going to bring out your army? We're going to bring out our army. Our army is going to murk your army, right? But why are we going to let all these people die? Let's just, one man against one man in it. And whoever wins, wins. Save the bloodshed. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Right? This is nothing new, especially on the back of Judges. We saw the same thing happening. But the thing is, neither Saul nor anyone in his army is willing to take on Goliath, apart from a young shepherd boy who will slay the giant, right, in chapter 17. What we see here is this fear, a fear that causes paralysis, right, that prevents particularly Saul, but we could also possibly say for ourselves as well, because again, it's always easy to point the finger, especially at individuals in scripture who drop the ball and not think about and consider ourselves. We can also have a fear that causes a similar type of paralysis that prevents us from acting, us from responding, us from fighting or functioning, this fear. I mean, if you know, everybody struggles with responsibility to some degree, don't they? Don't we? We all have hard things to do, things we'd rather skip or leave for someone else to take care of. You know what I'm saying? And I think I heard someone say, you know what, if you've got a day ahead of you, this is on a small scale, right? If you've got a day ahead of you, you know you've got hard things to do, don't do the easy things first and leave the hard things till last. Do the hard things first. Because the easy things, they'll be easy. Deal with the hard things first. You know what I'm saying? And and there's a lot that we could say about unwillingness to accept responsibility. You know what I mean? But time doesn't permit. Number three, looking at Saul, in terms of this other area of fear, we see this time, an irresponsible responsibility. He's going to respond this time, but this is the opposite to the second point. On the last point, he feared and doesn't take responsibility. Here, he fears, but he does take responsibility. But on both occasions, he's wrong. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 7, it says, Saul remained at Gilgal. Now, here's another war they got to fight. And all the troops with him were quaking with fear. And again, let's not be quick to just say, oh, these guys, they're so unfaithful. 
How about you go fight some seven-foot Philistines? You know what I'm saying? And not be shaking and quaking in fear. You know what I'm saying? It says, he waited seven days. Notice this, verse 8. He waited, Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. Seven days. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Now, what would you do? Samuel, you're supposed to wait for him because he's the one to come and offer the sacrifice, but he don't turn up. It's like, Samuel, you're not being true to your word. He said seven days, seven days, come on, Ghana, you ain't here. What would you do? The men are scattering, your soldiers, and you're a shookhead already, right? What are you going to do? Well, so he said, verse 9, my bad, I haven't got that one. So he said, verse 9, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Oh, you shouldn't have done that, bro. Just as he finished making the offering, guess what? Samuel arrived. <laughs> and so, don't you hate when that happens? You know you should wait and you're impatient and you do something you shouldn't have done. And just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. Samuel says, yo. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw the men scattering. You see, it's not so much the what, it's the why he did what he did. When I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time. Part of it's your fault, brethren, but you turn around asking me why I did what I did. You know what I'm saying? You did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling in at Michmash. I thought... Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. It's like I never had a choice, Bridget, asking big man. You think I'm the king asking big man questions? Verse 13, he says, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now... Your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Have you ever been motivated to act, albeit out of fear, in order to manipulate others, in order to manufacture an outcome? I, I, I think to some degree we, we probably all would have to admit to doing that in some way, shape, or fashion. These are things of which we are susceptible. Saul's fear and his irresponsible responsibility. And then number four. Oh, what's going on here? Oh, I did have the words. There we go. Number four. Saul's disobedience and disregard for the Lord's command. 1 Samuel chapter 5 verse 1 to 3 says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over Israel. And let me just remind you, you know what the word anoint means in Greek and in, in the English transliteration? It means Christ. Jesus' name isn't... It's, Jesus isn't his first name and Christ his second name, like Jesus Christ. Christ is not his surname. Christ is his title, and it means the anointed one. Every time you see Christ, you're supposed to think, oh, king, because it's the king who was anointed with oil and was designated, you know what I'm saying, in terms of that capacity. 
So when this says, and I'm saying, I am the one, says Samuel, that the Lord sent to anoint you king. If you're thinking about the big story, you should, you, you should immediately say, oh, why is it referring to, to anointed in Christ? Oh, maybe this is pointing us to someone in the future. I was sent to anoint you, Saul, getting back to Saul, king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys. Now, first of all, it's amazing that the Lord would give Saul another chance, in a sense. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> but would you say God's instructions are unclear here? They're far from unclear. And, you, and, and, you know, and, and, and one of the big things that comes out of this is this whole thing about genocide. Like, oh my gosh, like, what kind of God is this? How on earth could, you know what I'm saying, a God do this? That is, see, men, women, children murdered. Right? Genocide. Well, the first thing I would say to that, I think there's a few things to say. The first thing I would say to that is, Anyone that, that, that questions what's going on here knows nothing about war. Now, we have even recently seen clips of bombs going over to Aleppo, and rightly or wrongly, you know what I'm saying, innocent people dying. But is, 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 are you surprised when that takes place in a war? War is horrible, it's brutal, it's disgusting to a point, you know what I'm saying? But that is war. Like, why are we surprised at that, first of all? And, and, and I suppose it's, it, it'll be a bit like, I suppose it's the lesser of two evils. Think about a man like Hitler, right? I mean, if, you say, if I said, give me the top five people of, of all history that you could, he would definitely be in there, right? You think about a man like Hitler. Knowing what he would do as an adult, right? Tell me you wouldn't think twice about dealing with his case as a youngster. Now, I'm not saying you should do it, and I'm not saying you would do it. I'm asking, don't you think you'd think twice? Knowing what he was going to do. Now, both of them are bad, but one is a lesser of the two evils. Can you see that? Now, there's the whole thing about ethics and, you know what I'm saying, obviously knowing, uh, like, how do you respond? In, uh, like, in one sense, I'm grateful that things have changed in the New Testament under this new covenant in that, we don't stone people when they commit adultery anymore. Thank the Lord. God has put, you know, the, when, it comes to, when it comes to issues that relate to breaking the law, Romans 12, you know what I'm saying? God has now absolved that to the authorities. Thank the Lord. We've got the police force, you know what I'm saying, to call when issues like that arise. You know what I'm saying? But I'm saying, you see, you guys ever heard of a man called Haman? If you've read the book of Esther, he's one of the key characters. Haman, he is going all out to kill God's people, to have them like, like genocide. And you know who Haman is? Haman, he is an Amalekite. And he is the descendant of Agag, who's the king, that in a minute, Saul is going to save and preserve. And he's the very... Can you see how God is, in, is, is obviously clearly seeing what is coming in the future? And in terms of preventing something that is much, much worse take place. 
And I'm saying, I think, I think fundamentally, you know what I'm saying, shall not the God of all the earth do that which is right? You know what I'm saying? And then on top of that, like, you know that God is going to judge the whole world anyway. And it's like Jesus saying in Luke, I think, is it Luke 14? It's one thing to have the Tower of Siloam drop on you and kill you or, or die in a train crash. But you know, it's, a, it's another thing falling into the hands of the living God like at, in terms of the, the final judgment. You know what I'm saying? With, with these individuals, we read earlier that it, it was the fullness of the, of the, 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 the time for these ungodly nations had come. And God was now going to judge these nations. It was his mercy that they were still living. It's a miracle that God hadn't wiped them out earlier. And obviously we can reference things like the flood. But there comes a time where God will judge. You know what I'm saying? And if we have a problem with judgment, we're going to have a problem with the flood. That's why you hear certain people keep bringing stuff like that up. It, don't, it never really happened. You know what I'm saying? And Sodom and Gomorrah, where God will bring judgment. And Jesus refers to both of those two in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, when he talks about the last days. He says it's going to be just like those times. So, <clears throat> God is just. God is as just as he is loving. And I ain't got time to unpack that. But we as, as Christians are often accused of being arrogant because we will say these things. You know what I'm saying? And serving a God who is arrogant. It's actually arrogant to say that God ought not to judge. Because we all want justice when, it touch, when, 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 when pain touches us and crime touches us. We all want just, justice. Anyway, back to our story. Saul obeys, but only partially. You know what I'm saying? Not completely. He's now at the point where, as the king, he's enamored with himself and his power and his dominion. He's now a law unto himself and he's overwhelmed with pride. Samuel says to him in verse 17, he says, Although you were once small in your own eyes, you know, you're a different guy now. You were once small in your own eyes. Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder? Huh. And do evil in the eyes of the Lord. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. That's a contradiction in that statement. The soldiers took sheep and the cattle for the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. You see how Saul is still infected with this. I, I know what you said I should do, but I'm going to do what I think I should do. And you should like it. Too. Right? And Samuel says, you know what? You've got this wrong, bro. Like, you've got this twisted. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? 
To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, another translation says witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Witchcraft and idolatry, sin and evil. Saul is sacrificial, <laughs> but he's not obedient. There's a lot to be said about that. And he says, because you have rejected, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command in your instructions. I was afraid. Now he's really telling what was going on. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Far from him manipulating others, you can you see how he's actually being manipulated. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me. Now that sounds genuine until he says, so that I may worship the Lord. Watch. But Samuel said to him, I will, not go back. I will not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. It's a really sad story, isn't it? And this better one happens to be the young man that slew Goliath, it's David. And Saul would begin to suffer deep manic depression and waves of madness and would be plagued by an evil spirit even. Funnily enough, it would be David's soothing music, you know what I'm saying, um, that would bring temporary relief for Saul. Until Saul realized that God was with David and that he could potentially be the next heir to the throne, Saul now would spend the rest of his life Pursuing David to the death, trying to kill him, rather than investing his time and resources to fight the real enemy. And then in one final act of disobedience, Saul takes his own life by falling on his own sword. Thus ending a promising life on a final note of shame. Um, you can read that in First Samuel 31. Uh, isn't it amazing that in spite of <clears throat> these people's rebellion, Israel, and their disobedience, and consistent rejection of God. That God shows his amazing grace. You know, it didn't have to end like that for Saul. God shows his amazing grace. Um, although God will still allow his people to feel the impact of their bad decisions. And allow them to face the consequences of their actions. Yet thankfully God has a bigger plan. A bigger purpose. That is in the process of fulfilling. And it brings us to our last point. Saul is, is, is actually a picture of the antithetical king. Whose name is Jesus. Right at the beginning of this book. Hannah. Who is Samuel the prophet's mother. Right. You hear her speaking and prophesying. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2 she says. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High, and this is even those who confess to be his people. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is a prophecy, not about Saul or even about David or even Solomon. It's ultimately about 
the great king, Jesus. And that's right at the beginning of Samuel. I mean, this, this is something that, well, that Saul could have been fully familiar with, but had neglected, even rejected. This is a prophecy, not just about those kings, but if you fast forward to the end of the story, that is the end of the Bible, the last book, Revelation 17, verse 14, says then, they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and he is the King of kings. See, Jesus is the absolute opposite of King Saul. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, when you think about the four points that we looked at with regards to King Saul, he's, Saul is selected to become king by the people. He's the people's choice. He's not God's choice, but Jesus is God's choice. He's God's anointed. Saul has this fear and this unwillingness to take responsibility, but Jesus is the opposite. As a king, he's willing to take responsibility, even for actions that are not his. He goes to the cross, not for his sins, but for our sins. I say that's, that's the epitome of taking responsibility. Jesus is the epitome of a real man. Takes responsibility even where it was on the behalf of others. Three, we saw Saul's fear and his irresponsible response. That's doing things he shouldn't. There's things Jesus didn't do that he could have because he knows that was not his portion. And as a real man, as, as, as godly people, sometimes we have to be able to say, no, that's not my, that's not my portion. That's not my responsibility. I'm not going to do that. Why? What, just to please you? We saw that Saul was disobedient and he disregarded the Lord's command, but Jesus is the absolute opposite. Can you see that the whole Bible is about Jesus? That's First Samuel. I'm going to invite the, the team to come join me because I'd like to take opportunity to pray. So as they come up, I know it's really hard and it's, we get easily distracted at this point, but um, I'm going to even ask them as they're coming to try to be prayerful themselves. Just plug that out, sis. Would you join with me as, as we pray? <clears throat> Father, thank you. Um, well, first of all, sh sh let me say, Father, forgive us. Because even if we understand that the whole Bible is one story, and even if we understand that it all points to Jesus, even if we do understand that, Father, we can be often neglectful and we let things slip, and we even forget that. And it's so easy to be consumed, Lord. I know it because my own heart is wicked, and it's prone to wonder. Lord, it's so easy to be enamored with the things of this world, um, and forget about the things that are really fundamental to life, and also to godliness. Father, we... We looked at King Saul and, Lord, there's nothing in that list that I don't see in my own life. I don't see in my own heart. Lord, I'm, I'm fearful. And, 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 and often I don't want to take responsibility for things I know I ought to. Lord, for, 
for taking up things that are not my responsibility because I want to be the hero. My father, for not being obedient to you and being quick to want to praise and lift my hands and even as we get ready to sing now, Lord, and yet I'm withholding from you in terms of my obedience and my sin that's so ever, ever evident and ever before me. Lord, would you help us to consider the fact that none of us are able to be king. Our, Lord, our own regular failings ought to show us that. And apart from what people see in terms of our failings, Lord, we know ourselves and we know our shortcomings. Lord, we should quickly respond to you by saying, Lord, I'm so grateful that you've provided a king. You've provided a kingdom. And within that, I get blessed and benefited. But like Adam and Eve in the garden, there's that tree that I can't touch. There are those lines that I mustn't cross for fear of fundamentally offending you and breaching that relationship that you've so beautifully, wonderfully provided. And so, Lord, forgive us for not seeing you as the king and submitting to you on that basis. And thank you for these pictures, Lord, like King Saul, to clearly show us that man is not God. But isn't it wonderful that God became a man and humbled himself, Philippians 2, in order that he might reconcile us, that Jesus, the king, would de take his robes off and not see it as something to be grasped, to take them off quickly and hurriedly come to earth and die willingly on our behalf. What a king. And Lord, as we get ready to stand and sing, Lord, would you help us to hold these things together in our minds and in our hearts? Because the only reason we can sing is because of our king and what he did for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.